Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus uh, near Chicago. So if you're around, we'd love to see you stop by sometime. Um, We have a top item today that you could pull right out of your yard, cook for your animal, have them eat it, and it's going to have a tremendous number of health benefits. We'll talk a little bit about that. Also, something that every single person I mean, pretty much in the whole world, has in their house that can help your dog reduce thunderstorm anxiety. We're going to give that one a try. Um, Try it at home, actually, too. See how how that works. Um, Pet food packaging is becoming a really huge pollutant, but who wants to clean out your cat food can after you're done with it? You just want to throw it away and be have it be over. But apparently that's what everyone else thinks too. And it's becoming a really big problem. So they're having to research new things that can be done to stop this incredible waste. I'm part of the problem. I just didn't realize how big of a problem it was. So obviously I'm going to have to do something now. Yeah, it's unpleasant. I mean, you don't often think about that. You think, well, I'm done with it. I'm just going to throw it away because it's contaminated, right? But you can actually rinse it out. It's smelly. They stink. It stinks. Um, It is, it just is like gooey in there and I'm just like, ugh. And there's, it's like chunky too. So it's not like you can just, put it down the drain and call it a, you know, rinse it out real quick. Right. right. That's what keeps me from being able to do it. Plus I have to barricade our cats <laughs> in the bathroom and, and away from each other. So somebody eats in the shower, somebody eats over there, somebody eats over there. It's, and they're crazy at food time. When they hear that cat food can opening, there's no bigger uh, call to alarm <laughs> I've yeah, ever heard in my life. <laughs> Suddenly they're around your feet. Ryan like whining. Yeah. I don't even know they're there. And all of a sudden yeah. they show up yeah. quickly, especially Chuck. So when I'm feeding them, I'm in a huge hurry to get it just done and out of the way. And the smell, you know, yeah. bugs me. So when we had an animal hospital in Springfield, Ohio, we used to own Springfield Animal Hospital. And I was pregnant with our boy who's actually graduating from high school in a couple of weeks here. And every day I would open the door and the technicians would be feeding canned cat food. And you know how you're, you're just so heightened. You're so just like, Oh, this is every smell. You can smell anything when you're mm-hmm. pregnant. And for some reason, once I got a whiff of that a few times, I was just like done with the whole cat food smell. Yeah. And the, the, the thing is, is the smellier, the better for cats. Cause they like to smell their food, you know, mm-hmm. and it helps with their taste and taste buds. And they actually need that. to smell their food. Yeah. It's gotta be stinky. Yeah. Oh, it does. <laughs> yeah, if they can't smell it, like if they have a cold, they, they usually don't eat very well because oh, they can't really? smell the food. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And they're consistent um, cat diseases with persistent problems, yeah. like um, the feline herpes or mm. some of those diseases, the rhinotracheitis, stuff like that. Right. And they have, uh, you know, especially allergy season, they have a very similar sinus model as we do. Oh, really? So a great study uh, for us in the allergens that they you know we have in the household or outside can affect them just as readily as, oh as really us. yeah yeah and that would put them off their food it would because they can't smell yeah, it well yeah. oh, we have these northwest naturals treats we've been giving everybody um because we make a little plate when 
most of our patients come in here. It doesn't always get done, but we try. So it's like some peanut butter and you put a few Northwest Naturals treats on it and they're the white fish version. This stuff smells the entire, I mean, it's, it's a big pet store that we have out here now. I mean, we used to just have a room when we were in our old building, but now we have this big pet store. You can smell it through the entire thing and people are coming back and like, give me that. My dog loved it because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so stinky yeah, and the yeah. cats love it. And, so and dogs are part of that too. They, they, they're, it's not as critical as cats, but at, at the same time, uh, I think there was a, a TikTok or maybe a Facebook a while back where the the guy would put his foot up to the cat and he would smell it and oh, gag. Yeah, and gag. The cat's gag. So if they don't like something, they'll, they'll gag. <laughs> they'll let you know. <laughs> they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the poor things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your feet away from everyone. Yeah, they're Jim. sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, also this whole thing with thunderstorm season, it's just upon us now. We've had some really big thunderstorms flow through, um, you know, the South Plains to the North Plains and on eastward, Mm -hmm. um, some really big systems, multi-state, huge, uh, huge thunderstorms. So um, about 40% of dogs experience noise anxiety. So these noises um, are, you know, not limited just to thunderstorms. They, and fireworks and just, you know, big, loud claps, things falling in the house, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually worsen with exposure. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some of the products that we carry, some of the veterinary versions of products that are designed to kind of help with those big, scary noises. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a huge problem. I mean, we had a dog once. He was, was he 15 pounds? And yeah. like, he went through a wall, like he dug through an entire wall. He would keep you up the entire night long. And there was just like nothing to be done. Nothing comforted this dog unless you just had him on some kind of anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. It was really, really bad. And they're very destructive. It's very um, scary to an owner, you know, because you don't know. It's like, okay, you're, you're panning so hard. You're having such an anxiety or a panic attack. You know, should I take it to the vet? I don't know what to do. I mean, that's how I felt when I, first experienced his storm anxiety. Yeah, it's it's called maladaptive stress. And so there was some trigger in their earlier life that set that off that they didn't heal from. So some emotional event. It could have been the storm itself or could have been something associated with a thunderstorm, uh, but they just can't mallet, you know, can't adapt to it. Anymore. Can't overcome it. They and then it. said 40% of dogs, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So mm-hmm. like you think, okay, he's hurt at this time and he's hid behind the toilet. We got through the thunderstorm. Okay. You should be used to it. It's not how it works in dogs. Right. It's the opposite actually. So that one, I don't know. The dog stuff is, I don't know. That one was a tough one to live through. And I feel for you if that's what you're doing. So the, um, there are, uh, a lot of different things people try to do. Um, this study was actually done. This is from the dog people, this article. Um, and they said, it's not just the loud noise. It's actually the uncomfortable feeling of static electricity, especially the feeling of it tingling through their fur that makes dogs feel uncomfortable. So their solution is extremely simple. Everybody's got dryer sheets in their house. If you have your own home laundry or you're taking it out somewhere take a dryer sheet and rub it all over your dog and eliminate that portion of the problem. So you're eliminating the static electricity, but um, giving your dog like another option. So if it, I mean, maybe that would tone it down 20% or maybe that would, would help completely. Yeah. It makes sense for those dogs that are electrically sensitized. Uh, and we've all, you know, as, as children, you know, 
you have the socks on, you rub across the carpet and then you, my sister tried to zap me. And it's just before that zap that you get mm-hmm. extremely anxious. <laughs> so that's, I'm sure that's what they feel. And, and mm-hmm. But if you can discharge that, uh, that's why some of the pets go to the bathroom because water is, you know, neutral. The porcelain of the bathtub yeah. effect- effectively blocks electricity from traveling. Yeah, there you go. And this is likely why dogs often jump in the bathtub. Ours hid behind the toilet. Yeah. He loved going behind the toilet. I also think that it also blocks the noise a little bit too, because it's full of water. So it's like denser and mm-hmm. you've got the porcelain and it's cooler back there. So when they're panting like crazy and having this panic attack, yeah, I sure. just feel like that um, location is kind of like where it's at. So um, a couple things. So you can do that. If you try the dryer sheet and you know, you can give that a shot, you can leave them in the bathroom, try to leave them in the bathtub. Um, you know, again, they might be happier behind the toilet, one or the other. So uh, here's one product that veterinarians do prescribed. Um, is it Cilio or Cilio? You could say it either way. Okay. Yeah. So it's by Zoetis. And why don't you explain a little bit of that? Well, this has a, a product called Dex uh, which the product is designed to help reduce anxiety. And it's it's a sedative. It's not like uh, a tranquilizer that they're going to fall asleep on. Um, it we go to these products when everything else that the owner has felt comfortable trying has failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes, and, and the pets are hurting themselves or they're destructive, you know, they're chewing things up because, and then they're in danger of getting a gastric foreign body. So um, Cilio is one of those products. It, it's in the tube, you dose them so much. Uh, it's uh, a standalone treatment, so they don't have to have a buildup response. It could be used the day of the storm. So that's that's Cilio. Okay. Now, from just a straight conventional medicine standpoint, you often prescribe like an anti-anxiety medication. And we have owners go pick that up at like a normal human pharmacy. Yeah, there's a couple of products. Um, the uh, Alprazolam is just like the Cilio here uh, could be used the day of the storm and it reduces anxiety. It's a sedative, a little stronger medication if they're starting to heavy chewing behavior as well is trazodone. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are strong drugs, but they're limited use. And like I said, if they're really getting destructive and even hurting themselves, uh, like Doppler did, uh, you know, trying to get through a wall or something like yeah, that, that was you know, bad. You, you have to really knock that down at first and then start working on training other supplements, things like that. To okay. Help. So some of the other supplements. So once they get into this attitude though, and this fear and this constant thing, like it starts up in April, they're going to kind of seem to have a heightened response all the time. They do. So you should probably get on some kind of supplement some kind of supplemental thing. Um, We do carry CBD here. We also have hemp calming chews and a calming support. Now the hemp calming chews do come with um, theanine and uh, ginger root as well as tryptophan, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is like the turkey thing. Yeah. And valerian root and passion flower. These are a lot of stuff that people take, um, a lot of ingredients that those uh, come from. So, and this is uh, just also containing melatonin, our regular calming support. There are some melatonin-based products that are getting really popular and people are really liking them. Um, We do have like this 
it's a little bone that you can buy. And then in the end, you fill it up with this little prepackaged thing of peanut butter. Uh, and the peanut butter comes with melatonin in it. Chorky loves it. I always just give it to her and then she passes out <laughs> for the yeah. afternoon, but she likes it. She, she knows it's coming. Um, July 3rd by Herb Smith is an immediate calming for dogs. So this is a powder, I think, or I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it's a powder. So this one um, is also one that's pretty popular. And if your dog is just in that constant panic state or constantly just kind of like heightened, um, this Acaria pet set clip, which is uh, an aromatherapy clip, is something you can help do for fearful dogs. This is kind of nice. You can adjust this clip and open it as much as you want to with its scent in it, or you can close it as much as you want to. So it's just an adjustable way, a little tag you put on the collar. And aromatherapy is effective. You can give it a try. And um, these are kind of just a nice little disposable one. It does last for quite a while. It's 100% therapeutic grade essential oils. And then there are some other essential oil products. Um, this one is from Pet Fashion Spa. This is another essential oil calming uh, thing that it's a roller and you can just put it right on your pet's fur. Um, it does smell pretty good, um, but does have, you know, a few things in it that may benefit your pet. Definitely. And those could be started right away. You know, your baseline is, is something nutritional or something natural. Um, and then going to stronger products if necessary, but have that as a baseline, you know, start giving the supplements every day throughout the storm season. Um, there's even some calming diets that you can consider as well. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Well, so thunderstorm season is very much on the way and it's also dandelion season too. So <laughs> dandelions are a superfood, and uh, when it comes to dogs and cats, they are anyway. So they're obviously plenty of dandelions right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, not everybody wants to kill their dandelions anymore. Cause we all see that there are some cool things about them. One of them is that they're high in inulin and inulin is a blood sugar regulating mineral item that uh, is inside of your dandelions. So that's always really good for any pet, really at any time, who's, you don't have to be experiencing blood sugar problems at that point, but um, the inulin is a very popular supplement in uh, all pet foods and in a lot of pet food supplements, um, including um, the digest aid, I believe it is by um, the, uh, bloom products that we carry. Mm -hmm. yeah. So hickory inulin is what that is. This is dandelion. Um, dandelions are a good source of fiber, high levels of vitamins A, C, K, and D, and then the B minerals, and B vitamins as well as calcium, potassium. And it also is said to have a prebiotic in it, but how would you give your animal dandelions? Like, do you just put it on their dog food? Is there something else, some other way to prepare it so they'd actually eat it? Yeah, a lot of it is uh, in a powdered form or tincture or included in digest aid. Can or you something. make one? And you can make it yourself. Yeah, you can you can dry the leaves and powder those down. Uh, first of all, you can try a few snippets of the fresh to see if they'll, they'll tolerate it. You can mix it into some fresh food um, and it, wonderful benefits. So the detoxing part of it is probably what it's most well known for, especially for the liver. Okay. Uh, but also the kidney in uh, dogs who have kidney disease. Um, we treated a, a couple of lepto patients uh, recently for, uh, you know, that, that had you lepto did? with dandelion root and you that did? helps to cleanse. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What was your, your reasoning for doing that? 
Well, it, it's for kidney infection. It also helps the diuresis, and also uh, is a detoxifier for the liver. So for lepto or Lyme disease, Lyme disease can affect the kidneys mm -hmm. and also can affect the liver. Uh, is That is a great baseline product to have on board. Now they were on other medications too to help mm -hmm. support them for infection, but at the same time, you gotta have a little bit of natural in there to get those pets to recover much faster. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How, you know, a lot of people don't know that lepto is a problem, but, um, it, you know, it depends kind of on where you live. But if you're around bodies of water, um, Northern Illinois has tons of lakes, um, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. um, throughout the Midwest. Um, but you just also need to have those, uh, you have a lot of lakes and you have a lot of different animal types, wildlife and stuff coming through your yards or around, say, the lake that your pet's swimming in. Um, so lepto is actually a problem and it's been weirdly like you think it's only going to happen like on a farm or out, you know, in a big body of water or something where there's a, you know, a lot of people or something, but it actually is happening in suburbia, yeah. which is surprising. So if people say, what's that? I don't need that shot. You might. So it's something to really think about with the whole lepto thing. So could you just kind of explain a little bit about what it is? Um, leptospirosis. Leptospirosis is a bacteria um, it, and it uh, forms a, um, you know, a type of infection in the kidney itself with the filters. Oh. Okay. And uh, Lyme disease obviously is from a deer tick. So you're going to get Lyme disease after a potential uh, deer tick bite. And those organisms tend to attack those vital organs because they're in the bloodstream and the liver's filtering tons of blood and the kidneys also filtering blood. Mm -hmm. And so those organs are most susceptible to, to infection. And um, the, the side effect, you know, the effects of that or the symptoms are, are difficult to discern from any other symptoms. You know, they may be off food for a few days. They may have a little nausea, diarrhea, uh, but you know, with blood work, we can diagnose First of all, do they have antibodies against it? And then second of all, if there's liver or kidney, uh, either or, or both, okay. usually targeting those first. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's just like you, you can have raccoons going through your backyard. Yeah. And uh, any other animals or? Oh, deer, um, but also raccoons are probably the biggest carrier for lepto. Okay. And uh, because we there's a lot of developments in, in the suburbs, they were natural habitat at one time. Mm -hmm. So those animals are still looking for you know, natural habitat to hide. So they're, so there's the reason it goes up in suburbia is, is the, the interaction with wildlife is much more intimate than mm -hmm. the, used to be the separation from town to farm. Is lepto contagious from dog to dog or dog to cat? Uh, cats don't, don't get it, but okay. dog to dog, yes. And dog to human, um, unfortunately, uh, through the handling of contaminated urine. So uh, we have to be careful. Any, really, any time you're handling waste, you should wear gloves anyway. Yeah. I mean, just in case, you know, there's a problem. But, uh, you know, we can get sick from our dogs, um, you know, and the cats, fortunately, don't get leptospirosis. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lyme is not communicable between, uh, you know, other pets. Animal to human? Animal to human. Okay. But we are intimately in contact with deer ticks, which... You know, if there's a deer tick in the environment, then we can be susceptible to that as well. Okay. All right. Well, um, hopefully nobody will catch that. Uh, there is a vaccine for leptospirosis. It's a two-part vaccine. Right. And honestly, um, you know, we, we don't vaccinate everybody for that. But 
There are dogs that are at a higher risk for that. So we do vaccinate those. So, I mean, you just really have to talk to your vet about what, you know, what's right for you and what's right for your animal. You know, a dog that's, you know, an apartment dwelling dog that never really goes outside except on a leash, that kind of thing. Would that be a prime candidate for leptospirosis? If you're doing vaccine risk assessment, that would be considered low risk. Okay. You know, but if you're going to take your little dog boating, mm-hmm. uh, if you take your lab hunting, uh, if you go up into the peninsula or if you have a lake house or... Or if you're walking around in a marshy area that's always right. wet with mud puddles. I yeah, mean, got a lot of marsh out. I think that's how it, why it's so easy to get is you're just walking along thinking, hey, it's a mud puddle. <laughs> but you didn't know that the raccoon that was just washing its hands in there had leptospirosis. For sure. And... Like today, when it's raining, you know the rain puddles, the 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 water that doesn't stand there for long, mm-hmm. uh, is going to be a less likely problem. But just standing water that's always there, like a marsh, okay, you know that's going to be and, and ponds, you know those are going to be high high risk areas. Okay, very good. All right, so um, looking at a few of the trends in uh, pet food. Well, for one, is the superfood. So we talked about dandelions, and we kind of got a little off track with the whole lepto thing. <laughs> Wash your dandelion greens, right? Yeah. Um, so there are quite a number of um, superfoods for dogs, but they shouldn't contain more than 10% of your pet's diet. So you think like you're giving some blueberries or you know, the dandelion greens, if you can get your dog to eat them, mm-hmm. then you think, okay, the more, the better, right? Apparently not. You only want to give the maximum amount of 10%. So if you're yeah. making your own dog food or supplementing your own dog food, that's kind of what's in it for your, your pet. So just kind of be on the lookout for the following. So eggs, highly digestible proteins that aid in muscle tissue and health. This um, article today comes from the AKC family dog. Some of you might be getting that in the mail if you have an AKC registered dog. Um, So we've got the eggs, eggs, um, our cats, uh, the kitties, they stand around waiting for their eggies in the morning Mm -hmm. um, and you have to make them (laughs) just right and then let them cool and then they'll eat them. They're very picky about it. They love it. And and eggs are in Chinese medicine, a very good Jing tonic. And Jing tonic is the, uh, the life force that was started when the, when you were born, but then housed in the kidney. And so when we give eggs, that helps to stimulate and to support the prenatal jing and also uh, the regular jing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the woo-woo part, right? So. <laughs> That's a lot of woo-woo. All right. Uh, salmon. Salmon is awesome. And we don't, you know, yeah, the weird thing wonderful. is that we have all these salmon treats here and people don't really ever buy them. They're more into the chicken, beef, bison type stuff. The salmon treats kind of sit here a little bit. Yeah. Just something that, you know, it's, it's kind of like your go-to meats or beef, chicken, turkey, mm-hmm. those things. Would you think your dog would eat that, but maybe not eat salmon? Yeah. But if you can get them to, it's a super source of protein, omega-3 fatty acids and amino acids. And omega-3 is well known as an antioxidant. So that promotes a healthy immune system and is also good at reducing inflammation. So when it comes to salmon, that's a great idea. If your pet has some joint issues going on, some allergy issues, uh, you're going to get all those things in your salmon products. And um, we do carry some other fish products here, the white fish, and uh, most notably to reduce um, inflammation, joint issues, that kind of thing is the green-lipped mussel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So we sell a lot of those. And uh, for good reason, because they really do work. They're very effective in alleviating some of the joint pain. So that's a buzzword. That's also one I would add to their list here is the green-lipped muscle for superfoods. Blueberries, high in antioxidants, vitamin C, fiber, and phytochemicals. Wonderful. It's it, And it's in uh, every dog, a lot of dog foods these days include blueberries. Uh, awesome mm-hmm. for they do a lot of them. a lot of treats. Yeah, fruitables I think contains a blueberry treat that they I don't know what the other part of it is like beef and blueberry or something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they a lot of dog foods contain a little bit of fruit and it's usually a berry. Yeah, berries are more palatable I think for dogs. Sometimes a little sour to feed like just one on one like and like I don't think we have a dog right now who would eat a blueberry. I don't think so. I mean Benjo would eat Some an apple, would. but. Yeah. But not berries very much. Mm-hmm. The apples, themselves. the apple's a lot more fun though because it's round and it's like a ball, and yeah. So he plays with it and then sits down and, he, and yeah. eats it like a human would eat an apple. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird yeah. around the core. <laughs> the other big one, um, superfood wise, is cranberry. We've talked about cranberry before. It's actually a yeah, obviously a great product for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. It's an antioxidant. It has. E, um, vitamin C and vitamin K in it. Um, obviously the raw cranberry would be hard for even a human to eat, not to mention your animal, but uh, they are a good source of fiber and um, they've also been popping up in treats. So blueberries and cranberries, I think are popping up in treats and dog foods all over cranberry. Obviously we use that in um, little chewies for urinary tract. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff, um, urinary type products on the market. For cranberry. Yeah. You seem to target the two big areas, the digestive tract um, and really three, the skin and the urinary tract. Those are some big ones. And that's why some of those products are in there. Okay. So there's been some controversy in pet foods. Um, you remember the whole grain-free thing where it said everybody was getting, um, well, there were a lot of cases reported of heart disease caused by grain-free dog food, but then they found out that wasn't it at all. And actually the part that people forgot about and didn't know was that they, they were putting like potatoes and that kind of thing on the list as well. So potatoes and legumes went on that list Mm -hmm. and everybody just thought grain-free, grain-free, you know, it's just all the meat, but it actually wasn't just all the meat. It was the legumes and the potatoes. And if I'm correct, I believe the jury might still be questioning those a little bit when they come to pet food. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay. Because they, there's, you know, they're trying to replace some of the meat protein with some, you know, less expensive proteins. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those, especially anything that's under the ground, um, you know, can be potentially uh, allergenic for sure. Okay. So sweet potatoes, though, are the exception. So you obviously seeing that all the time. Um, Sweet potatoes, cranberries, blueberries, all in dog foods, in dog treats. You can actually just shave a sweet potato, if you have, you know, a mandolin or you can cut it, uh, they're, they're just so hard to work with sometimes because they're, you know, so strong. So when you go to cut it, you can just get them really um, thin and you can bake them in the oven and they work mm-hmm. out great just for like a sweet potato chip for your dog. Mm-hmm. So you don't even need to spend a lot of money doing something like that. It's a lot of fiber, um, stabilizes the digestive system. Uh, vitamins A, B6, and C are also available uh, with the sweet potatoes. So all pretty good stuff. Um, pumpkin is kind of similar the same way. I think it's a little bit harder to find um, pumpkin, you know, like you couldn't really make that so much on your own. 
No, I, unless you want to bake the whole pumpkin, yeah. you can put it in the microwave and nuke it. You just chop it in half. It's actually pretty easy as far as that goes. So, yeah, um, rich in beta carotene. Like we use pumpkin as a solution for everything uh, around here. So, I mean, pets waking up after surgery that had a problem with um, they can't go to the bathroom now. Okay, try the canned pumpkin, not the sweetened stuff, just the canned pumpkin, mm-hmm. and we do really, really well with that. So, pumpkin has been like on your radar for. I don't know, a really, really long time we've been doing it. And then parsley and bone broth as well. Those are all both really good. The bone broth is anti-inflammatory, amino acids, and super high in protein. Um, We actually have a client, Mrs. Landis, who makes bone broth at home. And she always, she has these great little dogs. She has quite a little dog family. And um, she was telling us how she did it. So someday I'm going to get her to come on here and talk to us a little bit about how she does um, her bone broth because it's mm-hmm. super easy to make on your own. You can do it in your crock pot. No big deal, along with the um, sweet potatoes. So potential things that you can DIY here. All right? For sure. All right, good. When we come back, we have a lot of questions from our listeners on our Holistic Fed Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson page. That's on Facebook. It's a group. You can ask questions. And if you're watching live right now, please do chime in. We're happy to hear from you and like to hear everything you have to have to ask. We'll give it a try to help you out. Okay. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You 
you are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, uh, near Chicago. And uh, we're at the located the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus. Um, so uh, what is a Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus? It is uh, encompassing a lot of different things for animals. We're still working on getting our swimming pool put in. We're just looking for a pool right now. Um, we found the plumber and um, we uh, also are going to be having, uh, we have an indoor dog park here. We have a pet store that's generally holistic based and stuff that uh, our clients want to buy. Uh, they've told us about it. So we brought them in. One of them is the Diamond Naturals line of pet food, the grain-free, the regular Diamond Naturals, pretty highly rated on Dog Food Advisor and um, very highly rated with people who are actually on the Diamond products. So those have been working out pretty good, apparently for a lot of pet owners. So we have a group called Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson that's on Facebook. You can get on there and ask us any questions you are concerned about, anything you know, you might have a question about, we'll answer it on the show. Sometimes um, we're able to answer them in live segments that we do every once in a while, usually at the end of the day when we crash. <laughs> so, um, and it's, it can be a long day around here in this animal hospital. <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. yeah. <laughs> okay. So Randy has her first question today uh, that's come to us, uh, brought a puppy into the vet. Apparently she's got an ear infection brewing can or should I treat this holistically? I'm not keen on antibiotics, period, and she's 11 weeks old. Well, first of all, we want to do an ear cytology. So see your veterinarian. They, they take a swab of the material that's in the ear. They put it under the microscope, and we're looking for yeast or bacteria, something like that. If it's, if it's cultured, then we know that it's a little more chronic this is 11-week-old puppy, so obviously it hasn't been around that long to develop a major chronic illness uh, or food allergies for that matter. But a lot of times those ear infections, depending on breed, uh, can be pretty simple to treat. But uh, starting with the cytology tells you, you know, what is the character of this disease? Mm -hmm. So basically this means if you're going into your appointment, you just, after seeing so many people come in bring their dogs in with ear infections and sometimes a cat, you know, you just, I can't really imagine going into an appointment and not having an ear cytology done. So mm -hmm. if somebody says, I think that's blah, 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 then you should always just say, that's great. Can we send out, can we do an ear cytology and maybe even do a culture because if you've been having this problem consistently, and here's where I think the problem is, a lot of people will give up and say, whatever they did at the vet's office didn't work. So they give up after one try at this. And it's because they didn't go all the way into the culture and maybe sometimes didn't even do a cytology. Okay. Right. So people give up and then they're angry because their dog isn't better. But the fact is that you have to communicate with your doctor and ask for what you need. So that can be, okay, I'm going to give this a try this time, but if it didn't work, you need to follow up. And a lot of people just skip that step, just thinking that they couldn't fix my dog. So it's not better. And I see this a lot, a lot on social media, a lot of people asking questions um, and just saying, didn't work, didn't work. Well, it's because you need more stuff. You need more testing. And maybe at the time, you know, you had financial concerns or 
you know, or whatever, or that's just the way your vet handles it. It's the first time we're going to try to treat it. If that doesn't work, then we're going to have to move on to something else. So most vets are going to probably give you a cytology. If they don't, just ask them for one. So that's just a swab in the ear. They take it, they look at, under the, look at it under the microscope, and they're going to tell you that's a bacteria or that's a yeast. And here's a super easy way to figure this out. You can do this on your own. It's DIY. And um, it's one of our most popular blog posts on riversideanimalclinic.net. So people from around the world are seeing it all the time. So we get some feedback on that is if you can touch your dog's ear, okay. And you can like rub it, or you kind of put your knuckle in there and kind of knuckle around and they're like, oh yeah, that feels great. And they kind of moan, they lean into you, you know, you're dealing with a yeast infection, Mm -hmm. but if you cannot lay a hand on that dog or the dog is crying and whining, or the dog is like, no, you're not going to touch me. Um, then you're dealing with a bacterial infection. So you can kind of, you know, your vet kind of has an idea of what's going on just by behavior alone. That'll tell you a huge part of the story. And, you know, it's just important not to give up. So if the first time didn't work, then you go back and you get the culture or maybe even ask for the culture up front. You know, it depends on the situation. It depends on your doctor. Mm-hmm. So the culture up front, um, you know, can happen, it just depends on how long you've been dealing with it. But if you're going more than one or two times of trying to treat this and you're not having anything happen that's effective, then you absolutely 100,000% need a culture. A lot of people skip this step. And I tell them, explain what the culture part is. Well, the culture is we're going to send that out to the lab and they're going to put it on a Petri dish. Uh, and they're going to, after a couple of days, see if there's any growth. And if there's bacterial growth, then they're going to identify that under the microscope and say that's a Staph aureus or that's an E. coli or that's a, a it's strep shocking. bacteria. The stuff in there is absolutely yeah. shocking. We have had so many dogs come back. And I mean, at first, when you first saw it, because we started culturing um, a lot more, okay? Culture and sensitivity. Started sending out a lot more. And we first started seeing MRSA. It was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, you started seeing it a lot. Right. Like all the time, MRSA, staph, um, E. coli, horrible stuff, actually. Pseudomonas in the ear. And you need special medicine for that. I feel like I'm on a bit of a monologue here. <laughs> well, it's, it, you know, the thing about the steps to ear, a proper ear treatment is, is, first of all, you give it up to two, maybe three times, once a week checking. Often owners don't want to come in once a mm-hmm. week to have that looked at. But you need to. Um, first of all, we want to make sure we're not over-treating. We want to make sure we're not under-treating. But we also have to look at the patient, too. So if you have a seven-year-old dog with chronic ear problems, that could be a thyroid condition. Okay. okay so we've got to look a little deeper on those chronic cases. Um, but when we send that culture out, they're going to culture the bacteria, but they're also going to put it on a resistance plate to find out what type of bacteria are present, but what are they susceptible to? Uh, when we're getting into pseudomonas and, and strep uh, and methicillin-resistant staph and MRSA, that's biofilm. That means that the bacteria, those nasty bacteria, have overgrown the normal population of bacteria that's mm-hmm. in the ear. Just like bad bacteria, can, like salmonella, can overgrow the GI tract. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have pseudomonas and in, in, uh, in MRSA overgrowing the ear. Uh, we have to understand, well, why is that happening? There's an underlying problem. It's not just food allergies. It's not just allergies in general. It could be other things, and we have to mm-hmm. look into that. 
it's really got to, I mean, how would something like those bacteria get in there anyway? Well, it's sometimes we're shooting or antibiotics and steroids at it too much. And those bacteria get resistant and they morph. Um, And then they start to produce uh, chemicals in the ear that these other bacteria can start to colonize. They're there, you know, but very, very small amounts. And so um, once they're allowed to take over, then they're going to be the general population in that ear. And they're really tough to get rid of. I mean, Pseudomonas, you automatically get resistance on almost every type of antibacterial. Oh, really? And the same way with methicillin-resistant staph is that you also get a lot of resistance on that that, uh, culture. So I guess to answer your question, I don't think you can treat something like this holistically. I don't think it's right. I think, you know, I've seen people say, I put tea tree oil in my dog's ear and it was fine. I just don't, I don't know, that one, it sounds like it's painful in the first place. And I just, I don't know, I just don't agree with it. I think holistic has its place. And there are a lot of things you can do to support your animal holistically. But when you're dealing with a bad ear, I think your pet just needs attention. I mean, because you wouldn't walk around with a big earache like that and a goopy ear. And no, you wouldn't do that to yourself. Well, you know, I remember years ago when I decided to take, you know, matters into my own hands with the ear. <laughs> and I thought it was just earwax. And I put an ear treatment in there and it my eardrum was open and I could feel the burning all the way down my chin. So yeah, you have to have your veterinarian look, you know, get a, a culture, check the ear over yeah. and make sure that that eardrum is not open. Because if you're putting products in there, it could cause more damage than we know. So painful. So just be careful with those. Yeah. Our dog, um, Benjo, had a lot of ear infections, I think, when he was little, and he still can get a yeasty ear sometimes. And to this day, like, you cannot handle his ears. That started yeah. when he was little. And so just be, you know, be as kind as possible, give a lot of treats, and try to make it a positive experience, even though yeah. it's tough. Yeah. So good luck with, with that whole thing. Another question today, my dog, this one is from Jessica. My dog is, has such bad allergies. We've tried everything. He's currently on prescription medicine for it and he's getting relief. However, they completely changed his personality. I feel like he's more tired, irritable, and grumpy. I've been wanting to switch over to raw food, but I'm not sure if that will help or where to begin and what supplements to get him that he has to have to have a healthy diet. So just kind of not sure where to start with that whole thing. Well, the the first thing is is tired, irritable, and grumpy. So tired means we have a chi deficiency. Most of the chi deficiencies are going to come from the GI tract, okay? 80% of the immune system's there, so if they're running out of gas, that means, okay, my gut's a little off. Irritable and grumpy, we're messing with the liver, okay, and the gallbladder. So upper digestion and detoxification uh, is causing the, the mental state, and that's affecting uh, the mind, it also makes them very irritable. And uh, that increases what they call sympathetic tone. So high sympathetic tone is going to trigger adrenals, it's going to underwhelm or overwhelm the thyroid. Uh, it's also going to suppress the immune system. Uh, so that in these chronic cases, we have to look, the best thing I would do on chronic cases is run a biomap, SRT analysis to determine, okay, what's your pet most stressed about? Okay, is that Diet is that uh, imbalance in the body somewhere. Uh, we have to get to the root of it because uh, if we just keep throwing medicine at it, you're going to get into those chronic things again. They're again biofilm, especially with chi uh, deficiency. You're going to get the microbiome messed up, and then we really have some problems. 
Okay. Just a reminder that if you have a question, you could post it right here if you're watching us live. Um, you can also get in touch with us, Holistic Vet Advice at Gmail. And then you can join our Facebook group, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson on Facebook. It's got a little red banner with a little boxer on it. So you'll know you've had the, found the right group. So, Melissa, um, you know, we kind of addressed this in the group because we did, went ahead and did a live. But Melissa, you are a saint. She actually took in this kitten that had been in a house fire. And I'm telling you, the pictures are in the comment section. And they were so sad. This kitty had um, been in the fire at the point that she contacted us. It had been 11 days since. Raw feet, Mm -hmm. um, had some raw skin. But the other weird part, and I felt so bad, was its tail was crimped and its ears were crimped too. Mm. So Pretty hot fire. Yeah, it was terrible. So she had some questions about how to get over that and how to, you know, even try to help this kitty. It was in pain. You could tell its face was, it was a serious grimace. And it had had some pain relief in a vet clinic. Um, So there are a few ways you get over burns. And there aren't that many animals, I think, that survive a burn of that. It's really hard because you get... The, the burn, you know, opening the skin like that is you're just, you, you've got an overwhelmed immune system and then you've got open skin. Okay. So it's a beautiful invitation for bacteria yeah. and that can overwhelm the system. So we took in a horse um, four or five years ago that had been, I don't know, to me at this day and age, after having her so long, I think she was struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, she has severe burns over about half of her, on the one half of her body. Um, she was you know, pulled off of a slaughter truck by a good Samaritan in Oklahoma. And, you know, we've, we've been through a lot yesterday. I went out there, you know, to look at her because we always have to check her every day and it gets much, much worse and starts to pick up in the spring when, in my opinion, it's when her fascia kind of starts to relax a little bit and you're not so tense and cold, the fascia starts to kind of come down and her, her burns start to, you know, kind of the skin kind of just kind of sinks and it gets, it gets warmer and more stretched. So that causes her to have in the spring and summer more of a problem with some of her burns yesterday, you know, they were, were not very good, but so we've had pretty extensive work in caring for her burns. Um, Debriding them is one way you do it. And in her case, we just take a brush and, and, softly kind of brush off all the flaking on the skin Mm -hmm. and then use cold laser uh, to try to reduce some of the deep wounds that, you know, they'll never really recover. Yeah. Because she has, you know, scarring in the, the fibrin is, you know, fibrinogen, that loose stretchy tissue and fascia has now become fibrin, which is scar tissue. And that does not, it, it, it doesn't drain very well. It gets yeah. the lymphatic fluid kind of stuck there and it can cause reactivity, especially like you said, in the, in the damp weather, you know, going into the warmer weather of spring, it's, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. And, I mean, do you agree with me about the, about the letdown of the fascia? Like it's mm-hmm. kind of like stretching more cause it's warmer out and you're not all tense being cold or trying to keep yourself warm or something. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my take on it and the way she becomes more painful just in the spring and a little bit more in the summer. So she always has to have pain management, just like this kitten. Yeah. So um, Melissa, I really applaud you for doing what you're doing for this poor kitten. And um, you know, if anybody else has any input about what to do uh, besides the silver sulfadine, 
uh, sulfadiazidine or something cream that we are using. Um, colloidal silver, they make a silver honey as well. Um, actually, I have that on the shelf. I could actually send that to you. It's called silver honey mm -hmm. and it came uh, as a sample. So I can actually send that to you, Melissa, and give that a try on your kitten. That was like a super sad situation. But if you have questions, uh, be sure to let us know at holisticvetadvice at gmail.com or join our Facebook page. So the pet food industry is defining a few things. Um, like what is the term natural mean? Uh, it comes to, you know, sustenance for all of these animals. Everybody kind of has their own way of looking at things. So natural is a term that is... I mean, it's, it's just a little bit controversial. How do you say something's natural? You got to be careful because um, a, a lot of companies can get into trouble because they're, they say that they're natural, but they're using actually some syn synthetic type preservatives, especially from animal byproducts that, that aren't natural. And uh, so we have to be careful with that label. Um, and a lot of pet companies, not a lot, I should say, but pet companies have gotten in trouble with using that, that terminology. The term natural. Yeah. So, you know, you're selling a product that says, you know, natural on it, um, but it comes, you know, like and has ingredients that are not, you know, based in plants or based in meat. Um, you're getting mind vitamins. Those are some of the controversial issues um, associated with that. Um, there are dog foods out there that do, uh, Nature's Logic is one, they use only vitamins from plant-based sources. So a lot of people like that. They also use some solar power in uh, working up their pet food in Nebraska there. So natural uh, naturalness, what would you tell a client if they were looking for a quote, natural dog food? You get this one a lot. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. and. I would, you know, first of all, look, you know, you can, you can call a company and get their take on it. But for me, uh, natural would be nothing that's synthetic. Okay. All naturally sourced uh, preservatives, all natural uh, meat, uh, natural vegetable, the least amount of processing that you can get. So that's why I really like Farmina because it's cold pressed raw food mm -hmm. into a kibble. So you can't get really any more natural than that. I really like that. Um, you know, the dehydration food is also like Northwest Naturals, uh, Zeewee, those are, are really good products because you're, you're cutting out that where we get into trouble is the preservative, mm -hmm. you know. And when you buy natural food, you have to be, how you handle it is much different. Um, you have to make sure that it stays in the bag and is sealed over because a lot of the other pet foods may have preservatives in there uh, that are still somewhat natural, but they reduce the spoilage factor. But so, a lot of these natural diets, you know, they're so natural. They don't have a lot of preservatives in there um, mm -hmm. and, and they can spoil quickly. But Okay. That's what I'm looking for is anything that's uh, non-synthetic, non-GMO. Um, and, you know, Farmina is one of those really good brands. So this article by Lizette Bond says that um, 
you know, AFCO has those definitions. They have definitions of natural, Mm -hmm. but that there are still many shades or degrees of naturalness in commercial pet food. So that is even coming from somebody who owns a pet food company, uh, got pet products in St. Francis, Wisconsin. Without getting too technical, we characterize a natural diet as minimally processed food composed of ingredients that are as close to their original unadulterated state as possible, says Rob Cadenhead. Cadenhead added that today's pet owners expect more from a value-added natural brand than their parents did, of course, and are especially receptive to diets formulated with ingredients that serve a functional purpose. So here again, we go to the superfoods that we started talking about earlier. That includes cranberries, blueberries, broccoli, dandelion greens, and they're starting to steer clear products that are high in cheaper plant, I'm sorry, plant-based proteins like peas, lentils, and chickpeas. So you're going to see peas many different times on your pet food label if it contains pea products. So it comes in pea flour, pea protein, peas, you know, you're going to see it again and again and again. (laughs) Right. You know, if you see peas on there, you're probably going to see it several times and it actually in the total volume of that dog food product, you might have more peas in it than you actually do meat. So you got to kind of watch it when it's, you know, the legumes and all that stuff. So we, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. but those are kind of what people are looking for. So people are just kind of looking to get away from filler ingredients. It used to be the filler ingredients you wanted to get away from, you know, and still, and still should corn, um, soybean meal, stuff like that. Now it's even including peas, lentils, and chickpeas and potatoes, quite frankly, white potatoes, it's not really necessary in dog food, not your thing. They can be very reactive. And, and that's one of the food ingredients we look at with food allergies. Uh, I can see why they're doing it, you know, because they're trying to reduce the cost. They'll try to make yeah. um, a middle type of, of dog food that, that can be more affordable because the higher the meat that's in there, the more expensive it's going to be. Okay. So um, is it also because like some of these are nightshade vegetables? Right. They have that that tendency to cause a, a really massive degranulation response in the body once absorbed. What does that mean? Um, degranulation is when you're really kicking in the histamine and histiocytes, which reduce, oh. uh, produce histamine. You get a bunch of that happening at one time. So the body oh. heats up, you get rashy, you get irritated, uh, you get secondary hotspots and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's mostly because of what they call leaky gut syndrome, because mm-hmm. you're going to get much faster absorption of those proteins going mm-hmm. into the system. And then it really targets those, it's called the Isle of Langerhans. It's the lining of the intestinal tract that is kind of the first uh, line of defense in leaky gut issues. Once it gets oh. to there, that those cells are really kicking in and going, okay, this is really invasive. We don't want that. Oh, really? Interesting. And so that um, once it bypasses that, it's in the system. Now the immune system has to take care of that through the lymphatics. And that can be a, it can be a rough road for some dogs. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. it comes out on their skin in other ways. Skin mostly, um, but it could also transfer back to the liver, which has to detox. It could also affect the kidneys, Really, uh, but mostly the skin. Okay. So um, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it can be or skin disease. Skin diseases are, you know, it, it depends on the presentation because if you're getting hot spots, it's bacterial. If we're getting uh, inflammatory issues, that can be immune system. It can be thyroid, those kind of things. So the big 
thing is chronic. If it's chronic, we have to look a little deeper. All right. Well, be sure to read your pet food packages and we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to awesome woo woo holistic vet advice please join your host dr jim and kristen carlson again next thursday morning at 8 a.m pacific time and 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel now go make some time with your best friend